Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Friday, February 24th episode. That's going to be episode 177 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Definitely worth your while. A bunch of great, great, great um, Folks out there, brothers and sisters in Christ, putting together wonderful, wonderful content. I would definitely recommend it. Um, I also want to remind you to look at the uh, final uh, link in our show notes. Uh, that is the link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are um, striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school uh, to provide an alternative here in our community. So go ahead and click the link. It'll provide you some better, um, some better, uh, sorry, something just interrupted me. Um, it'll provide you a better description. And then we'd ask three things of you. We would ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same thing. All right, let's go ahead and get started with our reading for the day. Uh, we're going to be reading in Valley of Vision. Well, I'm sorry, we're going to be doing pr- opening up in prayer first. In Valley of Vision, we'll be opening up like we used to do on Friday with our um, six-day morning prayer. It's called the Gospel. All right, let's pray. O Thou Most High, Creator of the ends of the earth, Governor of the universe, Judge of all men, Head of the Church, Savior of sinners, Thy greatness is unsearchable, Thy goodness infinite, Thy compassions unfailing, Thy providence boundless, thy mercy is ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. Weak, but here we learn that help is found in one that is mighty. Poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. Blind, but we find he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy Son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds, his love reign in our affections, his cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. Amen. All right, and now our devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 24th, the morning one. Uh, the text is in Ezekiel thirty-four twenty-six. I will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. 
Here is sovereign mercy. I will give them the shower in its season. Is it not sovereign, divine mercy? For who can say, I will give them showers except God? There is only one voice which can speak to the clouds, and bid them beget the rain. Who sendeth down the rain upon the earth? Who scattereth the showers upon the green herb? Do not I, the Lord? So grace is the gift of God, and is not to be created by man. It is also needed grace. What would the ground do without showers? You may break the clods, you may sow your seeds, but but what can you do without the rain? As absolutely needful is the divine blessing. In vain you labor until God the plenteous shower bestows and sends salvation down. Then it is plenteous grace. I will send them showers. It does not say I will send them drops, but showers. So it is with grace. If God gives us blessing, he usually gives it in such a measure that there is not room enough to receive it. Plenteous grace. Ah, we want plenteous grace to keep us humble, to make us prayerful, to make us holy. Plenteous grace to make us zealous, to preserve us through this life, and at last to land us in heaven. We cannot do without saturating showers of grace. Again, it is seasonable grace. I will cause the shower to come down in his season. What is thy season this morning? Is it the season of drought? Then that is the season for showers. Is it a season of great heaviness and black clouds? Then that is the season for showers. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. And here is a varied blessing. I will give thee showers of blessing. The word is in the plural. All kinds of blessings God will send. All God's blessings go together, like links in a golden chain. If he gives converting grace, he will also give comforting grace. He will send showers of blessing. Look up today, O parched land, and open thy leaves and flowers for a heavenly watering. All right. And now we're going to get into, into our reading for the day. Uh, we're going to be reading in, starting in Leviticus 15. Leviticus 15. All right. Hear the word of the Lord. Yahweh also spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. This, moreover, shall be his uncleanness in his discharge. It is his uncleanness, whether his body allows its discharge to flow, or whether his body obstructs its discharge. Every bed on which per the person with the discharge lies becomes unclean, and everything on which he sits becomes unclean. Anyone, moreover, who touches his bed shall wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. And whoever sits on the thing on which the man with the discharge has been sitting shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Also, whoever touches the person with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Or if the man with the discharge spits on one who is clean, he too shall wash his clothes and, clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Every saddle on which the person with the discharge rides becomes unclean. Whoever then touches any of the things which were under him shall be unclean until evening, and he who carries them shall wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Likewise, whomever the one with the discharge touches, without having rinsed his hands in water, shall wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. However, an earthenware vessel which the person with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every wooden vessel shall be rinsed in water. Now when the man with the discharge becomes cleansed from his discharge, then he shall count off for himself seven days for his cleansing. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in running water, and will become clean. 
that on the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before Yahweh to the doorway of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall offer them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf before Yahweh because of his discharge. Now if a man has a seminal emission, he shall bathe all his body in water and be unclean until evening. As for any garment or any leather on which there is seminal emission, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. If there is a woman with whom a man lies so that there is a seminal emission, they shall both bathe in water and be unclean until evening. If a woman has a discharge, and her discharge in her body is blood, she shall continue in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. Everything also on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Whether it be on the bed or on the thing on, excuse me, on which she is sitting, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until evening. If a man actually lies with her so that her menstrual impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. Now if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her unclean discharge she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity she is unclean. Any bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her like her bed at menstruation, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, like her uncleanness from her menstrual impurity. Likewise, whoever touches them shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Now if she becomes clean from her discharge, she shall count off for herself seven days, and afterward she will be clean. Then on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons, and bring them into the priest, to the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall make atonement on her behalf before Yahweh because of her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separate from their uncleanness, so that they will not die in their uncleanness uncleanness by making my tabernacle that is among them unclean. This is the law for the one with a discharge, and for the man who has a seminal emission, so that he is unclean by it, and for the woman who is ill because of menstrual impurity, and for the one who has a discharge, whether a male or a female, or a man who lies with an unclean woman. All right, Leviticus, Leviticus 16, verses 1 through 28. Now Yahweh spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they came near the presence of Yahweh and died. And Moses and Yahweh said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, so that he will not die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash, and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water, and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Then Aaron shall bring near the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall take the two goats, and present them before Yahweh at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for 
sorry, one lot for Yahweh and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall bring near the goat on which the lot for Yahweh fell, and he shall offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before Yahweh, to make atonement upon it, to send it out into the wilderness as the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall bring near the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his household. And he shall slaughter the bull on the sin, of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a fire pan full of coals of fire from upon the altar before Yahweh, and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before Yahweh, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the ark of the testimony, so that he will not die. Moreover, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Also in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And he shall sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to all their sins. Thus he shall do for the tent of meeting, which abides with them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place, no one shall be in the tent of meeting until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before Yahweh and make atonement for it, and he shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar on all sides. With his finger he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times and cleanse it and set it apart as holy for, from the uncleanness of the sons of Israel. And when he finishes making atonement for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar he shall bring near the live goat. Then Aaron shall, say, shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it out into the wilderness by the hand of a man ready to do this. And the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an isolated land. And he shall send out the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting, and take off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body with water in a holy place, and put on his clothes, and come forth, and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. Then he shall offer up in smoke the fat of the sin offering on the altar, and the one who sent the goat out as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes, and bathe his body with water. Then afterward he shall come into the camp. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering, whose blood was was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be taken outside the camp, and they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuge in the fire. Then the one who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body with water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. All right. Now Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem, and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with defiled hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. 
and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to, to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with defiled hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips. But their, hearts is far, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commands of men. Leaving the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, You are good at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever you might benefit from me is Corban, that is to say, given to God, you no longer leave him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. And after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. And if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples were asking him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you lacking understanding in this way as well? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and goes to the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. All right. It's Psalm 40, verses 11 through 17. You, O Yahweh, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually guard me. For evil beyond numbers, number have surrounded you. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the, ha air, than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Yahweh, to deliver me. Make haste, O Yahweh, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to sweep it away. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in evil against me. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, Yahweh be magnified. As for me, I am afflicted and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and the one who rescues me. Do not delay, O oh my God. All right. And finally, Proverbs 10, verses 13 and 14. There we go. On the lips of the one who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks a heart of wisdom. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of the ignorant fool draws ruin near. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. The ruin of the poor... I'm sorry, I went on. Sorry. Well, that is our reading for the day as we've moved on through. And again, this evening, we're going to continue on with our reading of 
Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture. Uh, we'll continue on. We'll be reading from section 11, characteristic 11. A godly man is a humble man. We'll be reading from that this evening. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would definitely continue to implore you to go out and do all you do for the glory of God. Um, and, you know, God willing, I will see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close out with another prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called Mortification. Let's pray. O divine lawgiver, I take shame to myself for open violations to thy law, for my secret faults, my omissions of duty, my unprofitable attendance upon means of grace, my carnality in worshiping thee, and all the sins of my holy things. My iniquities are increased over my head. My trespasses are known in the heavens, and there, Christ, and there Christ is gone also, my advocate with the Father, my propitiation for sins, and I hear his word of peace. At present it is a day of small things with me. I have light enough to see my darkness, sensibility enough to feel the hardness of my heart, spirituality enough to mourn my want of a heavenly mind. But I might have had more. I ought to have had more. I have never been straitened in thee. Thou hast always placed before me an infinite fullness, and I have not taken it. I confess and bewail my deficiencies and backslidings. I mourn my numberless failures, my, incorrigible un my incorrigibility under rebukes, my want of profiting under ordinances of mercy, my neglect of opportunities for usefulness. It is not with me as in months past. Oh, recall me to thyself, and enable me to feel my first love. May my improvements correspond with my privileges. May my will accept the decisions of my judgment. My choice be that which conscience approves. And may I never condemn myself in the things I allow. Amen. Okay, again, like I said, I hope you have a wonderful day. And again, God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Friday, February 24th episode. That'd be episode 177 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely recommend it. There's wonderful, wonderful content over there. Um, my brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing just great work and providing great listening for you. So definitely worth your while to get over there and find you a number of different things to listen to. Believe me, there is so much over there I want to listen to and only so much time I have in the day that I really can't listen to all that I want to listen to. Um, so definitely worth your while. And I would definitely encourage you to get over there. All right. We're going to be doing, um, continuing on our, our reading in Thomas Watson's The Godly Man's Picture starting in, uh, we're going to be doing section 11. It's basically the 11th characteristic of a godly man. And it is a godly man is a humble man. So we're going to be dealing with that today. But we're going to go ahead and open up first in prayer. Uh, the prayer from Valley of Vision we're going to open up with is called Consecration and Worship. So let's pray. My God, I feel it is heaven to please thee, and to be what thou wouldst have me be. Oh, that I were holy as thou art holy, pure as Christ is pure, perfect as thy spirit is perfect. These I feel are the best commands in thy book, and shall I break them, must I break them, am I under such a necessity as long as I live here? 
Woe, woe is me that I am a sinner, that I grieve this blessed God, who is infinite in goodness and grace. Oh, if he would punish me for my sins, it would not wound my heart so deep to offend him. But though I sin continually, he continually repeats his kindness to me. At times I feel I could bear any suffering, but how can I dishonor this glorious God? What shall I do to glorify and worship this best of beings? Oh, that I could, would, could consecrate my soul and body to his service, without restraint forever. Oh, that I could give myself up to him, so as never more to attempt to be my own, or have any will or affections that are not perfectly conformed to his will and his love. But alas, I cannot live and not sin. Oh, may angels glorify him incessantly, and if possible, prostrate themselves lower before the blessed King of heaven. I long to bear a part with them in ceaseless praise, but when I have done all I can to eternity, I shall not be able to offer more than a small fraction of the homage that the glorious God deserves. Give me a heart full of divine heavenly love. Amen. All right. Now, uh, the February 24th evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text for it is from Zechariah 1, 12 and 13. O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy upon Jerusalem? And the Lord answered the angel with good words and comfortable words. What a sweet answer to an obvious inquiry. This night let us rejoice in it. O Zion, there are good things in store for thee. Thy time of travail shall soon be over. Thy children shall be brought forth. Thy captivity shall end. Bear patiently the rod for a season, and under the darkness still trust in God for his love burneth towards thee. God loves the church with a love too deep for human imagination. He loves her with all his infinite heart. Therefore let her sons be of good courage. She cannot be far from prosperity to whom God speaketh. Good words and comfortable words. What these comfortable words are, the prophet goes on to tell us. I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. The Lord loves his church so much that he cannot bear that she should go astray to others, and when she has done so, he cannot endure that she should suffer too much or too heavily. He will not have his enemies afflict her. He is displeased with them because they increase her misery. When God seems not to leave his church, his heart is warm towards her. History shows that whenever God uses a rod to chasten his servants, he always breaks it afterwards, as if he loathed the rod which, he gave his which gave his children pain. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. God hath not forgotten us because he smites. His blows are not evidence of want of love. If this is true of his church collectively, it is, it is of necessity true also of each individual member. You may fear that the Lord has passed you by, but it is not so. He who counts the stars and calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. He knows your case as thoroughly as if you were the only creature he ever made, or the only saint he ever loved. Approach him and be at peace. Oh, okay. Well, we are going to get on with our reading in a godly man's picture. Sorry, I'm moving my microphone there. And we're going to continue with our godly man's picture. Like I said, we're going to be going along in section 11. Um, this is the 11th attribute of what the godly man should, should be. And this one is a, a godly man is a humble man. He is like the sun in the zenith, which when it is at the highest shows least. 
Augustine calls humility the mother of the graces. But before I show you who the humble man is, I will lay down three distinctions. Number one, I distinguish between being humbled and humble. A man may be humble, humbled, and not humble. A sinner may be humbled by affliction. His condition is low, but not his disposition. A godly man is not only humbled, but humble. His heart is as low as his condition. I distinguish between outward humility and inward. There is a great deal of difference between humble behavior and a humble spirit. A person may behave humbly towards others and yet be proud. Who was more humble than Absalom in his outward behavior? When people tried to bow before him, Absalom would let them let them. Instead he took them I'm sorry, wouldn't let them. Instead he he took them by the hand and embraced them. Second Samuel fifteen five. But though he acted humbly, he aspired to the crown. Verse 10. Here was pride dressed in humility's mantle. Number two. A person may, have, may behave humbly towards God and yet be proud. Ahab put on sackcloth and fasted and went softly. 1 Kings 21.27 But his heart was not humble. A man may bow his head like a bulrush and yet lift up the ensign of pride in his heart. Number three. I distinguish between humility and policy. Many make a show of humility to work their own ends. The papists seem to be the most humble, mortified saints, but it is subtlety rather than humility, for by this means they get the revenues of the earth into their possession. They may do all this and yet have no godliness. Question. How may a Christian know that he is humble and consequently godly? Answer 1. A humble soul is emptied of all swelling thoughts of himself. Bernard calls humility a self-annihilation. You will save the humble, Job's 22.29. In the Hebrew, it is him that is of low eyes. A humble man has lower thoughts of himself than others can have of him. David, though a king, still looked at himself as a worm. I am a worm and no man, Psalm 22.6. Bradford, a martyr, still subscribes himself a sinner. If I am righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. Job 10.15. Like the violet which is a sweet flower but hangs down its head. Answer 2. A humble soul thinks better of others than of himself. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Philippians 2.3. A humble man values others at a higher rate than himself, and the reason is because he can see his own heart better than he can another's. He sees his own corruption and thinks surely it is not so with others. Their graces are not as weak as his. Their corruptions are not as strong. Surely, he thinks, they have better hearts than I do. A humble Christian studies his own infirmities and another's excellences, and that makes him put a higher value on others than on himself. Surely I am more brutish than any man. Proverbs 30, verse 2. And Paul, though he was the chief of the apostles, still calls himself less than the least of all saints. Ephesians 3, 8. Answer 3. A humble soul has a low esteem of his duties. Pride is apt to breed inside our holy things, just as the worm breeds inside the sweetest fruit, and froth comes from the most generous wine. A humble person not only bemoans his sins, but also his duties. When he has prayed and wept, alas, he says, how little I have done. God might damn me for all this. He says, like good Nehemiah, remember me, O God, concerning this also, and spare me, Nehemiah 13.22. Remember, Lord, how I have poured out my soul. Only spare me and pardon me. He sees that his best duties weigh many grains too light, and therefore he desires that Christ's merits may be put into the scales. 
The humble saint blushes when he looks at his copy. He sees that he cannot write evenly, nor without blotting the page. This humbles him to think that his best duties run dregs. He drips poison on his sacrifice. Oh, he says, I dare not say I have prayed or wept. Those which I write down as duties, God might write down as sins. Answer 4. A humble man ever presents bills of indictment against himself. He complains not of his poor circumstances, but of his poor heart. Oh, this evil heart of unbelief. Lord, says Hooper, I am, a he I am hell, but you are heaven. A hypocrite is forever telling how good he is. A humble soul is forever saying how bad he is. Paul, that high-flown saint, was caught up into the third heaven. But how this bird of paradise bemoans himself for his corruptions. O wretched man that I am, Romans 7.24. Holy Bradford signs himself the hard-hearted sinner. The more knowledge a humble Christian has, the more he complains of ignorance. The more faith he has, the more he bewails his unbelief. Answer 5. A humble man will justify God in an afflicted condition. Nevertheless, you are just in all that is brought upon us. Nehemiah 9.33 If men oppress and slander the humble soul, I'm sorry, if men oppress and slander, the humble soul will acknowledge God's righteousness in the midst of severity. Lo, I have sinned. 2 Samuel 24.17 Lord, my pride, my barrenness, my sermon surfeiting, I have been the procuring cause of all these judgments. When clouds surround God, Righteousness is the habitation of his throne. Psalm 97.2 Answer 6. A humble soul is a Christ magnifier. Philippians 1.20 He gives the glory of all his actions to Christ and free grace. King Canute took the crown off his own head and set it on a crucifix. So a humble saint takes the crown of honor from his own head and sets it upon Christ's. And the reason is the love that he bears for Christ. Love can part with anything for the object love, for the object loved. Isaac loved Rebecca, and he gave away his jewels to her. Genesis 24:53. The humble saint loves Christ entirely, therefore he can part with anything for him. He gives away to Christ the honor and praise of all he does. Let Christ wear those jewels. Answer 7. A humble soul is willing to take a reproof for sin. A wicked man is too high to stoop to a reproof. The prophet Micaiah told King Ahab of his sin, and the king said, I hate him. 1 Kings 22.8 Reproof to a proud man is like pouring water on lime, which grows hotter. A gracious soul loves the one who reproves. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Proverbs 9.8 The humble-spirited Christian can bear the reproach of an enemy and the reproof of a friend. Answer 8 a humble man is willing to have his name and intelligence eclipsed, so that God's glory may be increased more. He is content to be outshined by others in gifts and esteem, so that the crown of Christ may shine brighter. This is the humble man's motto. Let me decrease, let Christ increase. John 3.30 It is his desire that Christ should be exalted, and if this is affected, whoever is the instrument of it, he rejoices. Some preach Christ of envy, Philippians 1.15 they preached to take away some of Paul's hearers. Well, he says, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Verse 18. A humble Christian is content to be laid aside, if God has any other tools to work with which may bring him more glory. Answer 9. 
A humble saint is content with that condition which God sees is best for him. A proud man complains that he has no more. A humble man wonders that he has so much. I am not worthy of the least of all your mercies. Genesis 32.10 When the heart lies low, it can stoop to a low condition. A Christian looking at his sins wonders that things are no worse with him. He says that his mercies are greater than he deserves. He knows that the worst peace which God carves for him is better than he deserves. Therefore, he takes it thankfully upon his knees. Answer 10. A humble Christian will bow to the lowest person and the lowest office. He will visit the poorest member of Christ. Lazarus' Lazarus' sores are more precious to him than dives' purple robes. He does not say, stand aside, do not come near me, for I am holier than you, Isaiah 65, 5, but he condescends to men of low estate, Romans 12, 16. Use 1. Is humility the inseparable character of a Christian? Then let us test our hearts by this touchstone. Are we humble? Alas, where does their godliness appear? Where does their godliness appear of those who are swollen with pride and ready to burst? But though men are proud, they will not confess it. This bastard of pride is born, but none will admit that they are that they are the father. Therefore, let me ask a few questions and let your conscience answer. One, are those not proud who are given to boasting? Your boasting is not good. First Corinthians five six. Who who boast in their riches, their hearts swell with their estates. Bernard calls pride the rich man's cousin. Your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Ezekiel twenty eight five. Number two, who boast in their apparel. So your boasting is not good. Who boast in their riches. This is who boast in their apparel. Many dress themselves in such fashions as to make the devil fall in love with them. Beauty marks, gaudy attire, naked breasts. What are these if not the flags and banners which sinful pride displays? Who boast in their beauty. The body is but dust and blood kneaded together. Solomon says, beauty is vain. Proverbs thirty-one thirty. Yet some are so vain as to be proud of vanity, who boast in their gifts. These trappings and ornaments do not distinguish them in God's eyes. An angel is a creature of great abilities, but take away an angel's humility, and he is a devil. Are those not proud who have a high opinion of their own excellences? Looking at themselves in the magnifying glass of self-love, they appear in their own eyes to be better than they are. Simon Magus claimed that he was some, someone great. Acts 8-9. Alexander the Great felt the need to be the son of Jupiter and of the race of the gods. Sapor, king of Persia, styles himself the brother of the sun and moon. I have read of a pope who stepped on the neck of Frederick the emperor. As a cloak for his pride, he cited the text, You shall tread upon the lion and trample the dragon underfoot. Psalm 91-13. There is no idol like self. The proud man bows down to his idol. Number three. Are those not proud who despise others? The Pharisees trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Luke 18.9 The Chinese people say that Europe has one eye, and they have two, and all the rest of the world is blind. A proud man looks at others with an eye of scorn, as Goliath looked at David. When the Philistine looked around and saw David, he disdained him. 1 Samuel 17.42 Those who stand on the pinnacle of pride look down upon other men as no bigger than crows. Number four, are those who trumpet their own praise not proud? Before those days, 
Theudas rose up, boasting himself to be somebody. Acts 5.36 A proud man is the herald of his own good deeds. He blazes his own fame, and his vice lies in this, to paint his own virtue. Number 5. Are those not proud who take for themselves the glory due to God? Is this not great Babylon which I have built? Daniel 4.30 So says the proud man, Are these not the prayers I have made? Are these not the works of charity I have done? When Herod had made an oration, and the people cried out, he was like a god. Acts 12.22 He was well content to have that honor done to him. Pride is the greatest sacrifice, sacrilege. It robs God of his glory. Number 6. Are those not proud who are never pleased with their condition? They speak harshly of God, assessing his care and wisdom, as if he had not dealt well with them. God himself cannot please a proud man. But like Mamas, he is forever finding fault and flying in the face of heaven. Oh, let us search if there is any of this leaven of pride in us. Man is naturally a proud piece of flesh. This sin runs in the blood. Our first parents fell by their pride. They aspired to deity. There are seeds of this in the best, but the godly do not allow it in themselves. They labor to kill this weed by mortification. But certainly, where this sin reigns and prevails, it cannot stand with grace. You may as well call someone who lacks wisdom, a prudent man, as to call someone who lacks humility, a godly man. Use 2. Labor for this characteristic. Use 2. Labor for this characteristic. Be humble. It is an apostolic exhortation. Be clothed with humility. 1 Peter 5.5 5. Put it on as an embroidered robe. It is better to lack anything than to lack humility. It is better to lack intelligence than humility. Mm, sorry, humility. No, it is better to lack the comforts of the spirit than lack humility. What does the Lord require of you but to walk humbly with your God? Micah 6, 8. The more worth any man has, the more humble he is. Feathers fly up, but gold descends. The golden saint descends in humility. Some of the ancients have compared humility to the Celadonian stone, which has little substance, but is of rare virtue. God loves a humble soul. It is not our high birth, but our low hearts that God delights in. A humble spirit is God's prospect. To this man I will look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. Isaiah 66 two. A humble heart is God's place. I live in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a humble spirit. Isaiah 57.15 Great personages besides their houses of state have lesser houses which they retreat to on occasion. Besides God's house of state in heaven, he has the humble soul for his retiring house, where he takes his rest and makes himself comfortable. Let Italy boast that it is the garden of the world for pleasure. But a humble heart glories in this, that it is the privy chamber of the great and glorious king. The times we live in are humbling. The Lord seems to say to us now, as he did to Israel, Remove your, your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Exodus 33.5 My displeasure is breaking out. I have eclipsed the light of the sanctuary. I have stained the waters with blood. I have shot the arrow of pestilence. Therefore lay down your pride. Remove your ornaments. Woe to those who lift themselves up, when God is casting them down. When should people be humble if not when under the rod? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. 1 Peter 5, 6. 
When God afflicts his people and cuts them short in their privileges, it is time then to sow sackcloth over their skin and defile their horn or honor in the dust. Job 16.15 Number 4. What a horrid sin pride is. Chrysostom calls it the mother of hell. Pride is a complicated evil, as Aristotle says. Justice encompasses all virtue in itself, so pride encompasses all vice. It is a spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into the brain and intoxicates it. It is idolatry. A proud man is a self-worshipper. It, rev- it is revenge. Haman plots Mordecai's death because he would not bow the knee to him. How odious this sin is to God. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16.5 Number 5. The Mischief of Pride It is the neckbreaker of souls. Surely Moab shall be as Sodom, etc. Doves, says Pliny, take a pride in their feathers and in flying high. They at last fly so high that they become a prey to the hawk. Men fly so high in pride that at last they become a prey to the devil. Sorry, to the devil, the prince of the air. Number six, humility raises one's esteem in the eyes of others. All give respect to the humble. Before honor is humility. Proverbs 15.33 Question. What means may we use to be humble? Answer 1. Let us set before us the golden pattern of Christ. He commenced a doctor in humility, but made himself of no reputation, and was made in the likeness of flesh. Philippians 2.7 Oh, what an abasement it was for the Son of God to take our flesh. Know that Christ should take our nature when it was in disgrace, being stained with sin. This was the wonder of humility. Look upon a humble Savior, and let the plumes of pride fall. Answer 2. Study God's immensity and purity. A sight of glory humbles. Elijah wrapped his face in a mantle when God's glory passed before him. 1 Kings 19.13 the stars vanish when the sun appears. Answer 3. Let us study ourselves. First our dark side. By looking at our faces in the mirror of the word, we see our spots. What a world of sin swarms in us. We may say with Bernard, Lord, I am nothing but either sinfulness or barrenness. Secondly, our light side. Is there any good in us? 1. How disproportionate is it to the means of grace we have enjoyed? There is still something lacking in our faith. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 O Christian, do not be proud of what you have, but be humble for what you lack. Number 2. The grace we have is not of our own growth. We are indebted to Christ and free grace for it. As he said of the axe which fell in the water, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. 1 Kings 6.5 So I may say of all the good and excellence in us, it is borrowed. Would it not be folly to be proud of a ring that is loaned to us? For who makes you to differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? The moon has no cause to be proud of her light when she borrows it from the sun. Number three, how far short do we come of others? Perhaps other Christians are giants in grace. They are in Christ, not only before us, but above us. We are but like the foot in Christ's body. They are like the eye. Our beauty is spotted. (sighs) Sorry. Our beauty is spotted. The church is said to be fair as the moon, Song of Songs 6.10, which when it shines brightest has a dark spot in it. Faith is mixed with infidelity. A Christian has in his very grace that which may humble him. 
If we would be humble, let us contemplate our mortality. Shall dust exalt itself? Thoughts of the grave should bury our pride. They say that when there is a swelling in the body, the hand of a dead man stroking that part cures the swelling. The serious meditation of death is enough to cure the swelling of pride. All right, that is our reading for the day. Uh, like I said, that was the the 11th section, the 11th attribute, and it's a godly man is a humble man. So, I hope this time has been edifying for you. I hope you're enjoying this reading through Thomas Watson. I am. I, I honestly am. I, I'm really getting a lot out of it. Um, I hope you have a good evening, and God willing, I hope to see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out with our six-day evening prayer. It's called The Mediator. Let's pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we hope in thy word. There we see thee, not on a fearful throne of judgment, but on a throne of grace, waiting to be gracious and exalted in mercy. There we hear thee saying, Not depart ye cursed, but look unto me, and be ye saved. For I am God, and there is none else. They that know thy name put their trust in thee. How many now glorified in heaven, and what numbers living on earth are thy witnesses, O God, exemplifying in their recovery from the ruins of the fall, the freeness, riches, and efficacy of thy grace. All that were ever saved were saved by thee, and will through eternity exclaim, Not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and truth's sake. Thou hast chosen to transact all thy concerns with us through a mediator and whom all fullness dwells, and who is exalted to be prince and savior. To him we look, on him we depend, through him we are justified. May we derive relief from his sufferings, without ceasing to abhor sin, or to long after holiness. Feel the double efficacy of his blood, tranquilizing and cleansing our consciences. Delight in his service as well as in his sacrifice. Be constrained by his love, to live not to ourselves but to him. Cherish a grateful and cheerful disposition, not murmuring and repining, if our wishes are not indulged, or because some trials are blended with our enjoyments, but sensible of our desert, and impressed with the number and greatness of thy benefits. May we bless and praise thee at all times. Amen. All right, again, hope you have a great evening, um, and God willing, I will see you in the morning, as I already said. Have a good night. God bless. Thank you.